Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. You know, I think I'm probably naturally quite extroverted. And I think alone time for me really does create space, not only to, to recharge, but also to, to make sense of what, what's happening day on day for me. Because there's often a lot going on in life for most of us. But I think often, particularly as a therapist, you're carrying a lot. And for me, the, the alone time is where I make sense of a lot of the processing of what's going on. So it's hugely important. I mean, without it, to be quite honest, if I didn't stop for, for my own alone time, I would really struggle, I think. I've got my own internal barometer. I know that I'm starting to get tired or exhausted when I just become grumpy and irritated and annoyed by the smallest things. And for me, that's always a giveaway. You know, it's like my other half snores too loudly. Suddenly that can be the end of the world. (laughs) Or... Someone, you know, someone pulls into your parking space just before I'm about to go into it. And then suddenly it's like I've gone from zero to 10 really quickly, which is not a normal state for me. But when I, when, when that sort of stuff begins to happen, I kind of have to stop and kind of do my own check in and think, OK, it's time to, to bring this down a few notches. Time to be alone. Welcome to another season of Alonement, the podcast about the time you spend alone and why it matters. I'm your host, Francesca Spector, author of Alonement, How to Be Alone and Absolutely Own It, and a former extreme extrovert who, a few years ago, discovered the life-changing power of taking some time to myself. On this show, I interview fascinating people who can give inspiration and practical advice on how to make your alone time the best it can be. Because when alone time isn't lonely, it's alonement. This week, I'm delighted to welcome my guest, Owen O'Kane, previously an NHS clinical lead for mental health. Owen is now a psychotherapist and a best-selling author. His books have all sorts of intriguing names, like 10 Times Happier and 10 to Zen. But when I saw the title of his latest book, How to Be Your Own Therapist, my ears pricked up. This is a podcast about alone time and how to make it better for everyone. And given that therapy is something which many of us consider valuable, but let's face it, remains hugely expensive and inaccessible to many of us, I thought that self-therapy, as Owen describes it, sounds like a brilliant use of one's alonement. Before we get to the episode, I want to give a big shout out to this season's sponsor, Flashpack. 
a travel company for solo travellers in their 30s and 40s, providing boutique group adventures all around the world. There's trips to Bali, Morocco, Sri Lanka, Japan. The world is your oyster. I've been working with Flashpack since the beginning of this year. And last April, I had the chance to experience one of their adventures for myself, travelling the hotspots of Colombia. I made so many new friends, many of whom I'm still in touch with, and had the kind of colourful, memorable experiences I'd been craving for the past couple of years of lockdown, including salsa dancing, boat trips, and eating delicious South American cuisine. What's incredible about going away with Flashpack is that you get the best of both worlds. Wonderful company, if you'd like it, and the ease of having someone else sort out the logistics, but also the independence of choosing where and when you'd like to have an adventure. If you'd like to experience a Flashpack holiday for yourself, they've provided an exclusive discount offer to all Alonement listeners. Quote the code ALONEMENT to give you £100 off your dream trip today. So, Owen, thank you so much for coming on. My pleasure. Thanks so much for having me. We're going to talk a lot about your latest book, How to Be Your Own Therapist, and all the great work that you do. But first, I would love to ask you about, because you have such a fascinating personal story to what led you to this career. Mm. Could you tell me a little bit more about you know, your background and how that got you to, to where you are today? I mean, and it- so in a, in a nutshell, really, I mean, the kind of the core essence of my own story was, you know, growing up, probably shame. You know, I talk about this a lot, but, you know, shame was probably the shame and fear were the two big core components of my story. So I grew up in Belfast during the sectarian troubles, you know, so I was just kind of you know, I did a TED talk recently called Bombs, Bullets, Bullying and a Piano. So there's probably a clue in the title. There was just a lot of bombs and bullets. And it was just I was just surrounded by fear the whole time. So it's a really scary place to grow up. So I think inherently, you know, I didn't realize I was anxious until I moved away to London and got out of, you know, when I got away, I suddenly realized, oh, my God, you know, I, I was on threat mode the whole time, looking out for threat or danger. And that was a permanent state up until I left in my early 20s, because I grew up, you know, during that period. I was, you know, I was born in the heart of the troubles when they started. So it was my entire experience and my right through my teens. But I also, you know, I'm I'm gay and I talk very openly about my sexuality. And that was very difficult to come out. I didn't come out until my early 20s. So I, I really felt a lot of shame. You know, I'm Catholic, Irish Catholic and gay. I mean, so there's a there's a recipe for shame if you've ever heard one. And I think all of that. So when I kind of crash landed into my adult life, I suddenly realized that fear and shame were the two big components of my story. And I didn't really know what to do with it. And it was only as I started to do my work. So my, the first half of my career, um, uh, I worked in palliative care. So I wasn't always in psychotherapy. So I, my, my approach was medicalized in the first half of my career. And I worked predominantly with people who were terminally ill. And that really changed the landscape of my life about what makes a better life. You know, because you were working with this in this most privileged position of working with people as they were dying, but really learning a lot about what makes a better life. And there was a real teaching in that. I did that work for nearly 10 years. And that led me to the entry and to be a psychotherapist because I didn't feel equipped to deal with a lot of the psychological distress that, you know, that I that I saw in my day to day work. And entering as a psychotherapist then started me off not only in my own journey, but it really started. It got me to look at, at life generally. And I guess really I've had God, it's probably nearly 30 years experience now of both physical and mental health and just looking at, you know, watching people struggle and suffer 
And when I trained as a therapist, then I started to do more therapy work and worked in the NHS for a long time, became a clinical lead for mental health. And then randomly, this opportunity came up to do a book. It was just like someone said, I was doing a talk one day, someone said, you need to write a book in this stuff. And I did the classic, yeah, 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 maybe one day. And then I was put in touch with a publisher and said, okay, send them a brief of what you would do. And they said, oh, what would you do? And the first book was called 10 to Zen. And that was about quietening the mind specifically. Sent the letter off to a publisher and uh, it took them a while to come back a year in fact and then when they did come back I pitched a book and you know they offered on the day and then coincidentally I was introduced to my agent Bev James it all just happened very randomly she then brought the book and we got a big publisher who were interested and the rest is history really the book exploded really shocked me I had never done a book before I didn't know what was going to happen and that book translated into 18 languages and suddenly I realized that there was a real need for this type of work. So I guess really my life hasn't been perfect. It, it's been, it, it's had a lot of my own struggle. And I guess what I tried to do in this work is I tried to use my own story to say, as I'm doing this work, look, I'm not sitting here as a perfect human being. I understand fear. I understand anxiety. And I really understand shame above everything. So I know what it's like to live in these states. It's really uncomfortable. So I think rather than just pretend that I've got it all together, I'm perfect. I say, no, as a human being, one human being to another, I get this stuff. So I try to weave that into my work. I think my experience in palliative care, it would be foolish of me not to weave into my work the wisdom of actually, no, no, no. The only thing that matters is now all of this attachment to what's been or what's going to come is a waste of life. And I think my 10 years in that arena taught me that. And I guess then as a psychotherapist, we do years of training and we have hundreds of hours of supervision and we're constantly retraining and keeping up to date. So what I try to do in this work is to bring all of that to the table and include it in my work. I don't always claim to be right, but all I do is try and deliver, okay, this is what I know helps. This is what I know makes it a bit easier. What I do know is that most of us become our own worst enemies without even realize we're doing it. And I also know that often the solutions are way simpler than we realize. So I, I guess unapologetically, all of that story, I've, you know, this is a really privileged platform. I'm sure you feel the same doing the podcast. I think life's given me an opportunity to to use this platform in whatever way I can. And I think, well, look, if that reaches more people, whether it's through a podcast or a book or a talk or media, whatever I'm doing at the time, if I can use all of that to make things a little easier, even for one, even if one word of what we have said today resonates with someone or lands or makes them feel a bit easier or makes them feel a bit more hopeful, then I've done my job and we have done our job today. And I think this is kind of what it's all about. It's just about, okay, you know, how do we all ease human suffering in some way? I think for me, it's no more complicated than that. The rest of the stuff, you know, like, like any human being, if I get tied up in the, oh, how's my book doing or what's coming next or, you know, when, when I start going into that arena and that territory, it becomes messy and I don't like it. Whereas actually I'm getting much better just kind of thinking, okay, what's today? Just do my work, do my job, show up and do what I have to do and just keep focused on that. That's a good zone for me to be in. And that's my favorite zone to be in. The moment I deviate off and then start to, you know, am I doing well enough? What are other people doing? You know, should I be doing more? You know, all of that bullshit that we do, it's human. It's the human mind will go there. I just, you know, it's quite liberating actually to think, oh God, that that doesn't work for me. (laughs) (laughs) I just come back to center really. Show up, 
do my job, do it to the best of my ability, trust the process, let it go. And that, that works perfectly for me. And maybe that's a, you know, maybe that's a good analogy for all of life, really. Just, just show up, do your best and let the rest go. I think it is. Yeah. I think they almost seem like radically separate skill sets, the whole, you know, the, the, the sales, all of that stuff. I think that, you know, ultimately, you know, what, what you're doing, you, you, you're doing it driven by genuinely caring for other people and genuinely wanting to make that difference. So the idea of focusing on that is just sort of counterintuitive, right? I I think it has to be, but we're, we're all human beings at the end of the day. And, you know, we're human beings, we have ego and we have, we're we're driven by all of, you know, we all are, it's part of the human condition to compare, to, to want to be better, to self-monitor all of these things, you know, but, you know, and you know, I'm not saying there's anything wrong with that. You know, there's nothing wrong with wanting to be better and to do more and all of that stuff. But I think often what I see in clinical work on a day-to-day basis, I just see people really struggling because well, well, that wasn't perfect, or I wasn't the best, or I wasn't the top, or I wasn't good enough. And it's just like all of these judgments and comparisons and and difficulties that we create because we buy into them. I think actually, what about the simplicity you just coming back? Do you believe in what you do? then that's enough. Are you showing up? And I think there's a big difference here. You know, when I talk about letting go, I'm not talking about giving up because someone challenged me recently on that and it was a really good point. When I talk about letting go as a concept, it's not about, oh, that you just throw it all out to the universe and trust it's going to happen because I think that's bullshit and it's dangerous because, you know, we, we, we have to get up and we have to commit. We, we have to take ownership for the responsibilities, whatever the arena we work in, we have to show up and we have to deliver and we have to be our best, whatever that is. doesn't mean that it's perfect. We just show up and be our best in that day. Or maybe sometimes we can't be our best and that's okay, but it's the showing up and then following your values. Am, am, am I doing what makes sense to me? Am I following my values? Am I doing what I'm fired up by? You know, am I doing what I believe in? And I think if you can answer yes to all of those things and then just you're going to say, okay, the rest will look after itself. Then it, in my experience, it does. Trust me in this. I mean, honestly, when I try and control it all, I suddenly, I think almost like we tie ourselves up in knots. And then suddenly in moments of clarity, I think, oh, I don't need to do any of it. I just need to. Then I let it all go. And it's almost like in the letting it go, then suddenly things start to flow really fluidly and start to work out. And I really wholeheartedly believe that when we internally tie ourselves up in knots then that's kind of what we project out onto the world Mm. we project out resistance so it's going inward just you know untie those knots just allow it all to be then i think we project out something very different and people notice that unconsciously they just spot the ease and the the openness and the flexibility and that's really attractive to people I think there's a lot in that. I wanted to ask you both as a person and as a practitioner, what does the word alone bring up for you? Yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a brilliant starting point. And I, what, what I try to do is I, I try and even though professionally, I think it's always good to think about yourself as a practitioner and an individual. I, I think human struggle comes up in both areas. It can comes up as a person and it comes up as a professional. And I think really alone and for me really is about recharging. And I think that's where, you know, I think I'm probably naturally quite extroverted. And I think alone time for me really does create space, not only to, to recharge, but also to, to make sense of what, what's happening. 
day on day for me because there's often a lot going on in life for most of us. But I think often, particularly as a therapist, you're carrying a lot. And for me, the the alone time is where I make sense of a lot of the processing of what's going on. So it's hugely important. I mean, without it, to be quite honest, if I didn't stop for, for my own alone time, I would really struggle, I think. Wow. You know, you've touched on something that I've always wondered about with anyone working in the therapy space. I know that you have to have therapy yourselves as, you know, part of training and part of coming up. But yeah, how do you recover, I suppose, from holding that much? Because you're carrying a lot more emotional baggage than your average person. I think you have to. I mean, I think early on as a therapist, you know, you're very keen and there's always a danger. I see this all the time if I'm supervising therapists. Most people want to give their best and to do their best. But there's also that danger that you give sometimes too much. Because you you are sometimes hearing life at its worst, particularly around trauma. And you absorb that as a human being. Of course, you cannot hear awful stories and not be impacted by it. And if you're not impacted by it, then you shouldn't be doing the job because then you've completely disconnected. So, of course, there are going to be days when you walk away feeling that residual heaviness or awfulness. And I guess we all become quite skilled at how we how we deal with that in our own supervision and how we deal with kind of letting, letting stuff go. And I think that's probably, I know it sounds really cliched, but I mean, I guess one of the, the the keys to good therapy is the ability to let go, not only as a practitioner, but actually in therapy, teaching people that real, real ability. Okay, it's okay to let this go because that's where you, you kind of recharge and fire up again, really. So I've got, I've got much more skilled at knowing. I know my, I've, got my, I've got my own internal barometer. And for me, it's really, really weird. I know that I'm starting to get tired or exhausted when I just become grumpy and irritated and annoyed by the smallest things. And for me, that's always a giveaway. You know, it's like, you know, my other half snores too loudly. Suddenly that can be the end of the world. (laughs) Or (laughs) someone, you know, someone pulls into your parking space just before I'm about to go into it. And then suddenly it's like I've gone from zero to 10 really quickly, which is not a normal state for me. But when when, when that sort of stuff begins to happen, I kind of have to stop and, you know, kind of do my own check-in and think, okay, it's time to to bring this down a few notches. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> time, to be, time to be alone. <laughs> time to be alone. It's so funny. There are all these really arbitrary things that happen. I mean, I, I have an example. At the beginning of my book, I talk about a fight that me and my ex had over throw cushions. Oh, God, which, yeah. Yeah, okay. So, I mean, where are you? Just slight digression here. Where are you on the throw cushions debate? So you Debata- for or against? Debatable. Mm. depends on context but we have similar arguments overall actually we are based between here and uh, London and the Cotswolds and we bought these cushions talking about cushions I mean Christ why <laughs> what have our lives become <laughs> but we bought these actually I can show you the very cushion because I've got one of them here <laughs> here's this one cu- I prepared earlier this cushion can be you know it's got like a pink on it and it's plain black and we had this argument the other day about I wanted this kind of pink and black because I thought it, you know blended in with the sofa well and my other half insisted that it had to be plain black that it was too much we had a good 20 minutes <laughs> arguing over that I mean uh, come on <laughs> I mean it's brilliant I think I mean just to describe this cushion for anyone I don't think we'll be using the whole of this on social as, as clips so obviously this is a audio first format this is a cushion covered in like pink thunderbolts which is just I I'm I'm with you actually Owen I think that looks a lot better to sort of have as a vantage point on a couch I think plain couch and then exciting cushions hello yeah yeah well you know there we go two one but it's so funny how we have these arbitrary 
I don't know, like bickering, whatever. And it's so funny because I, I, the line I use, it, you know, it's not about the throw cushions. Maybe it's not about the Thunderbolts, although may, <laughs> I, can, I can get why that would be no, polarizing. It, 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 you know, it never is. And you're spot on there. It's never really about any conflict or any arguments when we get into difficulties in life. It's very, very often never about what's in front of us. It's often about how we internalize what's happening and what it means to you. And it's one of the huge things about this book, really, you know, how to be your own therapist. It is about becoming really skilled about observing and acknowledging what's going on for you. Because often, you know, we all, we're all in this kind of autopilot going through the motions and get up, get out of bed, go to work, do all we have to do. And very often we're not stopping to check in at any level at all. I was sent to somebody recently, it, it, it's almost like getting into a car without doing any of your safety checks before you start driving away. We are just all on autopilot going at speed a lot of the time. And I think we need to know, you know, you need to understand what your emotional state is. You need to know how you're reacting because the moment you do that, then you regain a sense of control. You can think, oh God, yeah, God, this has really evoked a strong feeling in me or a strong reaction. And here's where it gets really interesting. Often what we're reacting, I mean, we're joking about cushions, right? But it's never really about that at all. And it's often about something that we haven't dealt with. And I think most of us carry loads of stuff from our past that we've never really dealt with properly. So of course, the moment in our adult life when a conflict comes up or someone disagrees with you or you feel that you've been undermined or not heard, it triggers old stuff of not being heard or being undermined or being bullied or whatever the context might be. And suddenly you become that person again. So in the moment, it's never about the pillow. It's about the fact that I'm not being heard. Mm. I've not been listened to. So we then play out the script over and over and over again. And I guess what therapy helps you, I think good therapy helps you to do is to know and hold responsibility for this is my stuff. Yes. And I, I can that. manage that. And and then, you know, and I think there's great power in that because then you're not at the, the mercy of other people's behavior and you're not at the, the mercy of what happens in the world. You can then take real responsibility for saying, okay, I get this. I don't like this feeling, but I understand why I'm feeling it, you know, and um, that, that, that's one of the, I mean, I get really excited when I talk about therapy because I do fundamentally believe it can be life changing. You know, the therapist won't change your life and the book won't change your life. But actually, I think some of what is in there, if you decide to take some of it on board and work with it, then it can truly make significant changes. Yeah. And, you know, I love that line in your book where you say this book won't change your life. And I think that as as a best-selling author and a psychotherapist, that's an amazingly sort of non-profiteering approach to take. But... Do, you know do you know what? I did a radio interview about two weeks ago and it was um, Rob Rinder, you know, the uh, Judge Rinder. And he yeah. joked with me before we started doing the interview and he said, um, hard to be your own therapist. He said, why didn't you just write hard to make yourself redundant? <laughs> He said, you're a therapist and you're telling people how to do it themselves. You're like, that's like, okay, well, I'm just going to make myself redundant. And actually, you know, it's not because I think for for years, every time I've worked with a client, I'll, I will always at the beginning start off by saying to clients, I don't like working with them longer term. And by that, I mean, I don't want to be with the client for 10 years and I'm sure they don't want to be with me for 10 years. Mm. My goal is to always empower someone to to be their own therapist by the end so my ending with most clients is look I hope I don't see you again and I mean that in the best 
possible way. And if I do, that's absolutely fine. Life happens. But the job of good therapy is to empower someone to walk away thinking, actually, I don't need someone and I can do this and I can manage independently. Now, that doesn't mean that some people might need elongated. And I want to be really clear about this. The book isn't a replacement for therapy. Some people will unquestionably need to do work and some people might need to do work for a few years because of the extent of trauma and difficulties. And that's absolutely fine. But I think within this book, you know, what it can give people is the tools to on a day to day basis, you know, get on with life and live as fully as possible. We're not here to be miserable and to struggle all the time. And I think we can become really attached to that feeling that oh, it's just felt shit, pardon my French, for so long that it just becomes a normal state and we almost become attached to that. And my argument is, no, 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 that is wrong. You know, most people could be much happier than they are. And I think, you know, that realization can can firstly surprise people, but actually it can also wake them up to think, actually, God, I can be happier and I want to be happier. Well, then stop getting in your own way. And that's what therapy is. It, it, it almost gets you out of the way. Yeah. Yeah. And, and you distinguish between that therapy and self-therapy as well. But I, I guess what, what you're saying here, you're using therapy as like an umbrella term for them both. But why do you think both are important? Because I imagine even when you have people coming to you, having th- formal therapy with you, that you're asking them to go away and do their own self-therapy yeah. alongside that. Absolutely. Because, I mean, it, it's a bit like if, if um, I don't do you, do you I assume you go to the gym and all that sort of stuff and exercise and, you know, well, like if you do that, I, I try to do it when I can. I mean. God, I, I sometimes go to the gym and I spend more time. You know, I think if there's a steam room or something there, I'll think I'll do a little bit of that. <laughs> it's much more appealing. But it's a bit like when you go to the gym, isn't it? You know, if I've got a personal trainer or something, they'll do an hour's work with me. But, you know, there will be a real there'll be real clarity about you need to do more than just the workout. You know, you're going to have to put the work in during the week. And it's exactly the same in therapy. You know, that one hour is only a part you know, of the work, you know, 95% of the real work goes on between sessions. It it goes on in everyday life. And I think that's one of the travesties of I see people using therapy and they just rock up thinking it's a chat, you know, a nice little chat once a week. Uh, And then they go away again. Well, if that's therapy, then it's not good therapy. And it's not going to help them because therapy is, it's, it's, you know, it's more than just a talk. It's a, a changing the way you respond, the way you think, how you manage your emotions, who you surround yourself with, the choices you make in your life. Therapy is a complete overhaul of your life. And that means between sessions that you're doing the work. And that is the hard part, you know. <laughs> I often think of therapy like a, it's like a wrestling match. You know, it's the beginning. I think most people come to therapy half hoping that you're going to sort it all out for them. And then, you know, a few weeks in, there, there comes that part where the person realizes, God, I've actually got to do a bit of work here. and I've got to dig deep. And that's how it should be, because that's where the strength and power comes from. And when you kind of get over that little wrestling match and you get over the other side, then people really start to flourish and build and reclaim their life. Mm, Reclaim your life. It's a great, it's a great phrase. And I think it is, I suppose, almost like even reclaiming it back from your therapist uh, to an an extent, because I, 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 
I don't know why this has popped up in my head, but I'm thinking of how I remember reading that Britney Spears has her PT that lives with her. And then, oh, I think this was before she, I think she's married her PT now or something, but oh, she wow. had, she had, she had a PT. That's what I need to do. I need to marry a PT. Dreamy. Yeah, no, this is, this is a good approach. That would be a money saving approach. <laughs> but no, so she had, you know, she had, you know, this in-house person. I think, you know, JLo, the likes of like JLo, Beyonce all have this situation yeah. where they have a trainer living with them and they're able to effectively outsource all of their exercise for most of us we say okay i can afford like one session a week or whatever mm. and then you kind of yeah, if you need if you have to move around otherwise but you can effectively do all your exercise with a pt i think in in part of your book you say that actually you're the only person with i think you use the term roadmap or something like yeah. you're the only person with the answers inside you absolutely absolutely and, and i think that that is the truth for most people because look i mean if you came to me in therapy uh, I would hear your story and I would empathize and I would try and help you make sense of it as much as possible. But only you will know the true enormity of the bigger events in your life. Mm. You know, only you will truly, you know, get, you know, I, I can empathize with you and I can get as close as I can to the experience for you. But ultimately, you will know what that felt like and the impact it had on you. But actually, equally, that's where your power is, because in, in the book, I, I talk about using your story really powerfully to connect, you know, how you are today. So that's why there's a big there is a section in the book about tell your story, you know, unapologetically tell your life story. And when when people start to tell their life story, what they'll often do is they will tell the, the more polished version of it. You know, they'll give the rehearsed story almost because we all do that. It's like, yeah, yeah, it was fine. And no, everything was good and it was okay and stuff. And actually the reality is a lot of the time it's not. So it's about getting people to say, no, 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 tell the story truthfully, all of it, because that makes you who you are today. But then it's about making a decision. Okay, what can I salvage from all of this? What has it taught me? What have I learned? What do I understand about myself? How has it changed me as a human being? And I think for many of us, if we've had difficulties on our story, all the energy goes into pushing it down or running away from it. When actually what you're doing in therapy is you say, no, 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 don't run from it. Don't deny your story. Don't deny the things that happened to you. Don't deny those parts of you that are struggling because they're crying out every day for you to respond to those parts. And then when people see that and think, you know, this the anxiety that you get, respond to your anxiety. When your mood drops, respond to your mood. When you feel lonely, respond to the loneliness. So you're learning to interact with self in a very, very different way. Um, and it's almost like I mean God, I can't even believe I'm saying this out loud because it sounds so mushy but it, it is almost like you, you're finding like an internal best friend you know that no judgment it doesn't matter I'm going to support you I'm available 24 7 you call me so it's about can you almost find in that internal version of yourself mm. the when the difficulties come up that you can respond to the difficulty so it's learning the art form of you know you're you're, you're not your difficulties. You're not these feelings. You're not these thoughts. You're not these challenges that are part of your life. They're just experiences that you have. So you can then learn that ability to look in on them and say, that's all right, I got you. I'm going to look after you today because we all have that. I guess really what I'm trying to do in this book is to, to get people to tap into that internal strength and wisdom that you have and I have and kind of say, no, it's all right. We, we can use this part of this to manage all of these difficulties and we're okay. And the more skilled you become at that, then suddenly life really, really becomes much easier. Yeah, that's where we want to get, right? It, I'm, I'm thinking there's a part from your book I'd, I'd written down where you write, uh, the most consistent part of your life is you. 
and whatever life throws at you if you're in good company with yourself then the journey will be so much more manageable and enjoyable and I do think of carrying around that best friend as you say it's I mean it does sound mushy but it is really really true because like when you know you know this is my bread and butter I've been doing this work for a long time and when you sit down with people in in a room and you hear hundreds and thousands of stories and regardless of what the story is or regardless of who the person is it doesn't matter the one common thread that you get all of the time is people just treat themselves so badly, you know, regardless of what's happened in their life. When you start to sit down with people and you hear that, oh, I'm just a loser, I'm pathetic, I'm stupid, I'm ugly, I'm not good enough, or I'm just a waste of time. Um, and sometimes they'll say it in a very tongue in cheek, or that's just who I am, or I, you know, I, I can't change. People don't relate to themselves well some of the time and they don't treat themselves well. And I think, even if you get that right, even if you start working in that, you're halfway there. I mean, that that's everything. My argument with a client is, if, um, I don't know if I told, you were saying earlier about um, hearing Fern's podcast recently, so apologies if I repeat the same story, but at all, it's a story that always pops into my head. I, when I was in the NHS, I was working with an anxiety group for people with really severe anxiety and the group were making pretty good headway. I mean, this is a powerful thing about sometimes working in groups for people that were really, really starting to, to make headway. And there was a, a lady in the group one day and she said, I get all of this. I really get all of it. And I, I hear the information and I'm understanding it. And, and I'm trying to, you know, I'm trying to communicate with my anxiety in a different way. And I said, okay, and what, you know, what, so I said, what does that sound like? And she said, well, I'm telling it this and I'm saying this and I'm you know so she was saying all of the stuff we had worked on she'd absorbed all the material and I stopped her and I said what is your tone towards yourself when you're saying all of this stuff and then she then just started laughing and she like literally was screaming at herself you know you will be calm (laughs) you you can cope and I said but you're talking to yourself as if you're calling yourself an idiot you're saying all the right words but you're really annihilating yourself. So the language is there, but the tone. And she just stopped and she said, oh my God, you're right. And it was a real kind of moment in the group when everyone stopped and said, oh my God, I do that as well. So it's it's often, even for me, less about the language. It's about just notice what that internal tone towards yourself is like. Yeah. Above everything, get that right. Work on that. Are you being awful to yourself? Are you judging? Are you criticizing? Are you self-deprecating? Put a nail on that stuff. Before you even think about the techniques and goals and what I want, it's a waste of time. If if your tone towards yourself isn't what it needs to be, which is basically compassionate, kind, flexible, open, reasonable, you get that right, everything else falls into place. And I see this in therapy all the time. I see people throwing in techniques, trying to do this, trying to do that. No, no, no. But the tone is still terrible. So I kind of think I can't emphasize how important that is. And for me, if I'm working with a client and, and they still deviate, you know, and if I watch them do it in session and they give themselves a hard time and they self self attacking, I'll immediately interject and say, no, no, we stop. Just yeah. notice what you did. Okay, what would be an alternative way of looking at that? And we go back. So again, in the challenging that what you're doing is you're kind of basically reprogramming. Yeah. We're not going to do that. We're going to change this behavior. We're going to create new neural pathways that don't function in the way they're currently functioning. So it's, you know, you're constantly evolving. And talk me through, because in, in the book, you have a really great practical sort of, you know, 10 minutes a day 
mm. um, of how to do self-therapy, which which I love because I always say with any sort of alonement adjacent well, you know, alonement based activity, you know, it can just be 10 minutes and that can change your life. So I love that you're kind of taking that. It, it, it is that approach of kind of listen. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you found the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. And often, but regular. Um, so, you know, could you talk me through that? Because I know it's quite yeah. a fascinating process. I mean, it was a real kind of, there was a real struggle finding, you know, how am I going to write a book on therapy? No one's really done a heart of self therapy book. There's been lots of tips and techniques and stuff, but, you know, therapy is a funny old world. And it's kind of like we, we hold on to secrets of therapy, like it's some Vatican secret. And I thought, well, there are a lot of people out there really struggling who really could benefit some of this stuff. So I do think we should be handing over some of you know, the ways of managing. So what I've done in the book, first half is like the, a crash course in therapy, telling your story, mapping it together, making sense of it, knowing who you are, knowing what you want. So that's kind of unapologetically the first half of the book. It had to be. But then I thought about, but therapy isn't just about therapy. Therapy has to become a way of life. And I don't mean that you become dependent on it, but the values and the principles and what you learn in therapy then have to be embedded into your life. Otherwise, it's a complete waste of time. You know, every client I work with, when I finish with them, I say, I want you to continue as if you're coming to me every week. I want you to sit with an empty chair every week for the next two, three months and have that conversation as if you were in therapy and envisage what that would look like. And I think what I've done in the book is I deliberately created the 10 minutes because the research is really, really clear. People are more likely to commit to something if it's short than sharp. You know, when we did groups in the NHS, when we said to people, oh, do 45 minute meditation, we lost them. 
People just didn't have the time. They couldn't find that space in the world. Or is this kind of 10 minutes embedded into the day? I call it ready, steady, and reset. And ready is just basically the getting up, you know, starting out in your day and kind of, you know, knowing, okay, you get out of bed and you think, okay, what's going on today? It's like literally checking the weather. Okay, okay, what's the landscape like today? And whatever the landscape looks like, it doesn't matter. It doesn't mean that you have to jump up out of bed feeling great and wonderful on top of the world. If you wake up feeling a bit flat or a bit anxious, it's okay, that's all right. Because the moment you acknowledge it and check in with where you're at, then you have the power to make a decision about, okay, what can I do to make this more easy? What can I do to make this more manageable? What can I do to support myself today? So you're immediately empowered. And it's almost like, you know, the, the beginning part talks about steadying for the day. And I talk about a few techniques just to level and steady up and literally catch a breath and ground yourself for the day and know what it is you want for the day ahead. You know, OK, we, we can have broad intentions about what we'd like the day to be. But equally, it's about being open to the fact that whatever comes today, I'll manage it. Mm. So it's not about being rigid about today means that I must get this podcast done perfectly and I must see all my clients and I must write that article and I must be a good person. And today is like, actually, you know, I'll show up and I will do my best. And if things get in the way or it doesn't go to plan, that's equally OK. So it's about that kind of open flexibility with the day. The middle part is about steadying because, you know, no matter who we are, you know, we get halfway through the day, stuff happens. You know, you get a, you know, an email from someone that pisses you off or <laughs> You know, someone cuts you out in traffic or you go into a shopping centre and someone's rude to you or your best friend lets you down, you know, meeting for lunch and they let you down. Stuff happens all the time, which then impacts our cognitive mental state and our emotional state. And often what we do is we don't respond to the adjustment or we don't respond to what's happened. So it's about, you know, okay, how do I get back to your point of equilibrium again? If I have deviated off track, how do I get back to your point of centre? And that's the middle section and the end about reflecting and resetting. I mean, that's basically about if we if we're not dealing with our life and we're not processing all of the stuff that's going on on a daily basis for us all, it will accumulate. And, you know, this section at the end of the day was like, okay, what was today like? How did I manage today? What have I learned from today? What can I let go of? What do I not need to carry to bed with me? Then suddenly you're you're less burdened. Whereas if you think about, you know, if somebody isn't doing any of this work and they're constantly going through every day, not doing any of this work, then can you just imagine how that just accumulates and accumulates and accumulates? And then suddenly overwhelm, burning out, exhaustion creep in because, you know, the mind, like every other part of the body needs maintenance, it needs looking after. So I guess really the essence of this book is really about taking responsibility but actually really taking good care mm. of yourself and in, in a really serious way i mean i look in a spirit of absolute honesty i would not function in my job well if i didn't do this work on myself every day you know i got before i did this podcast today i got up i got the dog sorted went for a coffee and i thought okay i'm gonna go and walk and do a bit of meditation and get centered before i do the interview because i always want to give my best at an interview but if I just crash out of bed and frantically fly through my day and then land at an interview, I'll give a significantly less impactful interview because I just haven't prepared or I'm not in that zone. So I think I think it's one of the mistakes I see made all of the time. People see stopping and taking time out and being alone as a, a luxury or a weakness or a waste of time. When actually for me, what I'm learning, the more experienced I get and the older and wiser I get, what I'm seeing is they're, they're my golden moments. 
you know, the, the golden moments of my day are the moments when I stop and think, okay, th- this, this is quiet time. This is alone time. This is going in time because that's often where I find not only do I find new stuff, but actually that powers me on then to, to be as good as I can be for the rest of the day. Mm. And I have been guilty of plowing through my day and not stopping and trying to be the best and trying to be everything and show up for everything and do everything. I've been there, done that, and it doesn't feel good. At this point, I'd love to give a shout out to this episode's sponsor, Duolingo, the world's number one language learning app, which offers 100 courses across 41 languages. As my Instagram followers will know, I swapped my dating app habit for learning Spanish via Duolingo earlier this year. It's been so easy to fit around my day-to-day life. And six months in, I'm hooked on doing the fun, bite-sized lessons for just a few minutes a day. I love chatting to locals during my travels to Spanish-speaking countries, as well as continuing this enriching adult education journey daily here in London. The main Duolingo app is free and always will be, as the company mission is to make language learning available to everyone. However, if you'd like to try the ad-free version, Duolingo Plus, with lots of special extra features, then quote the promo code ALONEMENT for a complimentary one-month trial. Download the world's number one language learning app today. You keep coming back to this term responsibility and it sounds... I don't know, you know, it's so it's so kind and actually so outward looking. And I don't think people get that that much about alone time. I mean, you know, I'm benefiting from having you here as a sparkling, brilliant podcast guest. So oh, many people pleasure. benefit from you, from the work that you do, from, you know, from both as, uh, you know, treating them as clients and, and you know, all the, all the books that you write, all the broadcasting work that you do. And it's amazing to think that that's powered by taking that time back for you. And it's really, it's, you know, it's interesting as well, because I think quite often people can get quite suspicious about people taking alone time when we're discussing it on a podcast or, you know, you see it sort of in a magazine or whatever. And someone says, oh, I meditate. Then, yeah, that's a, you know, that's a socially acceptable thing to do. Right. But do you have any advice almost for how to sell it to, say, you know, your partner or your kids or, you know, your friends or whatever, when you are taking that time for yourself? Yeah, you know, it can a, be hard. It's a, it's a brilliant question. I mean, and it's I think it's one of the, the, the most important things. If, you, if we go back to the kind of physiology of the, the, the human mind and if you think about the brain as an organ, OK, like every other organ in the body it will sometimes become tired and depleted and it sometimes won't function in the way you need it to. Now, the, the epicenter of all of our experiences are, you know, like life's happening all the time to all of us. You can't control that. Whatever goes on in the external world, it's happening to you. It's happening to me. Very often we've got little control over what comes our direction. So the whole time we're navigating that, but also we're navigating, you know, a massive amount of cognitions and thoughts every day. I mean, it's around 80,000 thoughts a day we have, and, and they can vary in nature. And very often they can be quite critical and negative in nature. Now, if you're not stopping to kind of slow, you know, it's like, I, I think of it like sometimes you think of a radio station. It's about thinking sometimes you're going to need to turn that volume down, or sometimes you're going to need to move stations. Because it might be the station that you're tuned into. So, for example, if you get to your point of the day and you suddenly realize that your own, your internal critic has come out and it's like, and you're an idiot, harsh, stupid were you, 
look at your life, look at how well everyone else is doing. I mean, all this bullshit, these stories that the mind creates. If you then suddenly tune into that, which of course it's very attractive when the ferocious mind comes out and starts delivering these narratives, it's kind of almost like you're a little bit compelled to listen. Like, oh my God, am I an idiot? God, am I a failure? And then suddenly you then start to overthink and engage. And of course the volume goes up. Whereas that ability to stop and be aware, okay, God, I'm in, you know, radio criticals out today, or radio catastrophes out today. The ability to stop and recognize, okay, this is going on today and create space around it then allows you to turn the volume down Ooh. and see it's just a pattern. It's not who you are. It's just an old pattern that plays out. And then not only can you recognize it, but then you have the decision to say, you know something, I'm not going to do that to myself today. Mm. I'm going to flip channels. And I'm going to go somewhere else. Or I'm, I'm going to, you know, I'm not going to be prescriptive about how you do this. Everyone knows how to tune into the things that are helpful for them. But you wouldn't be able to do that if you didn't stop to take time out to quiet and to be alone. Then how would you know this has gone on? Because it becomes such an automated, frenzied state. You know, next time you go on a tube or a bus or a train, you just look at people. Everyone's just frenzied. Whereas I actually know this stopping to, to know, like to catch a breath and to create a gap and think, whoa, you know, I need to pull back here. I need to know what's going on. So this isn't just a fluffy, oh, stop and meditate and be lovely. And and I think this is what it's seen as. It's kind of seen as a bit indulgent or a bit fluffy. Actually, no, this is mental maintenance time. This is probably the most important few minutes of your day because these few minutes will make an incredible difference to the rest of your day. Mm-hmm. So that that's where the real power is. I mean, in the recognition that, you know, the, the, this is like, you know, this is like plugging in the electric car. You know, the, the, this is your plug-in time. That's where you get your fuel. Yeah, it, It's not a waste of time. Hope I've sold it. <laughs> no, I think you really have. You really have. And But shorthand, how are you going to sell it to the person that you're about to, uh, to leave for 10 minutes to go and meditate, for instance? The question I will ask to anyone I work with, you know, is um, are you struggling day on day? You know, are you finding stuff difficult? Are you noticing changes in your anxiety and your mood? And of course, every single time people will say yes. You know? And when people then say, yeah, I'm struggling, I'm not finding it easy. My question will always be, OK, how often are you taking any time out? I do this in corporate gigs. This might be a better way of answering your question. If I go into corporate gigs and sometimes like a thousand depending on the context sometimes they're bigger depending on what you're doing but I'll always start off by saying how many people today have taken any time out to you look after the physical body have a shower brush your teeth you know so unquestionably most people in the room will put up their hand you know how many people today have you know cooked some food made breakfast you know done all that stuff everyone puts up their hand how many people today have spent any time in social media most people will put up their hand how many people have spent even a few minutes today looking after their mental well-being I normally get like three, four hands in an auditorium of a thousand people. Um, and then I'll ask a question, how many people in the room sometimes feel a bit overwhelmed and stressed and like it's all a bit too much? And of course, every hand in the room goes up <laughs> again. And that, what I will always say is, well, the reason that's happening is because of the one thing that you're neglecting. And that is taking these moments out in your day to to look after your mental well-being. And I think there is real truth in that. So when I'm really trying to sell it to people, say, if you're trying to avoid burning out, being stressed, feeling overwhelmed, then this time is going to be the most important moments of your day. And I think when you frame it that way and you help people say, this is really, really important. This is not fluffy, you know, 
And I, I think it's really important to say this because I think part of the danger of self-help and psychology and mindfulness and all of these things that we talk about, I think a lot of people don't think that's for them or that's for the yogis or that's for the meditators or that's for the woo-woo brigade. I think people think it's something else. Actually, no, 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 it is for you. If you're a bloke in a building site who's waking up feeling anxious every morning, it is for you. If you're a mom at home stuck with a few kids and really struggling to manage, it's for you. If you're somebody who's just retired and trying to make sense of it all, this is for you also. So uh, we need to move away. And I think this is something I'm really passionate about. I really want to move away from, I think, self-help and even mental health, how it's been used as a hashtag. I think there's a danger that it's been, I think the impact of mental health and everything's hashtag mental health. I think there's a danger that that's been overused and minimized. You know, having a bad day doesn't mean that you have a mental health disorder. So I think we need to be really careful that there's an, you know, an overuse and an over um, an overgeneralization of mental health as a concept. But I also think it's about the recognition. But you're a human being, so that means that you will have the, you know, your mental well-being is important, just as your physical well-being is important. And I think we need to get much better at moving away from the mental health and even all the stigma that goes with that, because I just, I think that it's just becoming so almost cliched that it's putting people off. Yeah, absolutely. I think, yeah, we say, you know, I'm gonna, you know, hashtag look after your mental health, but like how, you know, how do you do that? I think it's so important to actually be able to read books like yours and have the practical tips on how to do that. And the fact it can just be 10 minutes. It doesn't have to be, I don't know, using these lofty terms like mental health journey or, I don't know, looking at the price of a therapist or yeah, something I, seeming so impossible or sort of not for you. Yeah, exactly. And I, and I guess the, the, this, I hope, is about the normalization of the fact you're a human being. That means sometimes you'll struggle. Sometimes your mood will be problematic. Sometimes your anxiety may be higher than you want it to be. Sometimes you might feel a bit lost and confused. That doesn't mean that there is anything wrong with you. That doesn't mean that you have a disorder. Now, I'm not saying, and I want to be really clear about this. Some people have diagnosed mental health disorders, and it's really important that, that if that is the case and that they get the right support, the right help, and even in the, you know, in some situations, the right medication, that's hugely, hugely important. But we need to get much better thinking. But that is a subset of the population. It's not everyone. We need to start broadly. And even people who have, if someone has an anxiety disorder, whatever they're struggling with, it doesn't matter to me because I think what we need to get much better at is kind of thinking, but broadly, the one thing we all have in common is that we're all human beings, which means we will struggle and we will have ups and downs and we will all be on this trajectory of life sometimes. And I think we need to get much better at moving into, okay, well then looking after my, my general mental well-being is probably a really important thing to consider it is it is and the thing is though I mean of course you make this really important distinction there are you know diagnosed mental health disorders and that's a different thing entirely and that isn't something that you'd be trying to um, resolve with you know traditional or you know even self-therapy but well, I you think could st- you could still use it as a, as a you know it's I'm, I'm not saying that it's going to sort it but it, you know if you've got a, a mental health disorder of any description and even the word disorder saying it out loud I, I, I kind of think we should abandon that word disorder because disordered means you're disordered actually you're not disordered and it's not it it just means that you know for example we talk about anxiety disorders you know well, actually, if we strip away, if we take away the word disorder out of that there, okay, what we know is as human beings, sometimes you worry too much. And that might get in the way of your life. Or, you know, if we look at depressive disorders, you know, if we strip that away and we depathologize it, it becomes, okay, maybe sometimes you're a bit sad. 
or maybe sometimes there there is stuff going on that needs some attention and some work. So, you know, and you think, well, what's disordered about that? <laughs> you know, it's like it's not disordered, it just makes you human. But I guess sometimes when people have got really severe presentations, the diagnosis is important because it will get them the right help and support. Mm. But I think what we need to get much better at is it feels like at the moment, just with the sheer volume of people having the conversations, which is brilliant at one level, I think we need to get much better. But we need to stop, you know, using these broad terms, covering the entire umbrella of the kind of mental health, you know, spectrum, because it, 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 it's not that straightforward. And I think, yeah, parts of the conversation are getting lost because of that. And I think we just need to get much better at say, let's just talk more about being a human being. Let's just talk more about the fact that we're all going to struggle sometimes. Let's talk more about what we can proactively do to just live happier, calmer lives. I think that's, that's a much, much more helpful way of thinking about it rather than pathologizing everyone. Do you think that this self-care that we all sort of need, you know, and that, that can, as you say, underpin anyone's best life and it can, you know, it can even help if someone does, um, you know, does really struggle with their mental health. How would you make that catching in that, for instance, I, I'm imagining a scenario where, you know, you're, you're, in a, I don't know, in a house share perhaps, or you're, you know, in a, in a relationship or in a family and you're going off to do your things every day, it almost makes it look to someone who is not suspicious, but someone who like hasn't discovered that for themselves. That just looks a bit sort of, I don't know, um, self-righteous or whatever. And they kind of think, oh, what, like, what, why are you so special? You know, I don't, I don't do this. I don't need this. How would you come back at that? Cause I, I know that that can happen. I think I've, you know, I think I've, probably felt that in the past before where I've sort of seen you know years ago where I've seen friends you know taking hours at the weekend for exercise and self-care and all of this and when you haven't discovered it for yourself you can get wrongfully but you, you know you can get resentful so how, how would you make it a process where you can sort of do it for yourself but also invite others to then yeah. do it for I, themselves yeah it's a good it's a good question and I think it's often about you know Rather than becoming self-righteous, oh, I'm just going off to meditate. I don't know if you, I, I don't know if you've heard me talk about this before, but I did this um, really intensive meditation training, proper hardcore. I went off to Oxford and did it, and it was, um, you know, it was six o'clock in the morning, finished at ten o'clock in the evening. It was off in a retreat and all of this stuff. And everyone on this retreat was proper hardcore meditators. You know, they were really into their meditation and they look like meditators. <laughs> they look like meditators. What's yeah, meditation? Everyone, well, like? everyone, well, exactly. But I thought they looked like meditators because I was in a competitive state. I wanted to be the best meditator <laughs> on the course. And I got there and it was just, honestly, it was car crash for the first few days because I got so in my head about, and I, this might sound like a long roundabout way of answering your question but it's a really important point because I had a notion about what meditation looked like and what it should be and and that I I wanted to be more serene I wanted to be more still I, you know I just wanted this nirvana state of peacefulness and everyone else looked like they had it and I didn't and I was really struggling and you know I I tell this in lots of podcasts that I do or interviews but it's it's the same message which is important to convey so one day I was meditating and I was really struggling you know, there were people making noise. The guy beside me was snoring. I was agitated with everybody, everything. The guy opposite me was irritating me. Someone, but you know, all of that. And I was trying to meditate on compassion or something, or I can't even remember, but I think it was compassion itself, meditation. 
And I got to the end of it and I had a chat with my mentor and I said, oh, that was just an absolute disaster zone. I said, I think I'm going to drop out of this. I just, I'm not a meditator. I can't do it. And she said, why? And I said, well, I, you know, at one point I was really irritated with the guy in front of me. At one point I felt really angry because someone was banging the door. The person beside me was like snoring and making this funny noise. And I said, like, that's not meditating or peaceful. She just started laughing. She's good. She said, that sounds like a great meditation. <laughs> said, what? Well, that's a bit weird. And she said, well, the fact that you noticed the irritation, the fact you noticed your competitiveness, the fact that you noticed your anger and frustration, that things weren't happening in the way you wanted them to. The fact that you noticed all that means that you were meditating. So the secret is to get engaged with it. Now, I think what we have to get better at is rather than displaying our overcreator, oh, look at me and I'm doing this here, share the benefits, talk about how it's helping you. Mm. Talk about the changes that it makes in your life. Unapologetically, I talk all of the time about how this stuff has enriched my life, how it helps my life, how it supports my work. So it's not about the act of doing it. It's about the fact that when I stop even for five minutes, it changes the entire quality of my day. And I don't say that lightly. The entire quality of my day changes if I take those five minutes out. Not only do I think more clearly, I genuinely am a bit more centered, but I make better decisions, communicate better. I listen more. I'm much more aware of what's going on around me. I think I'm an easier human being to be around. So I think if I'm talking about this, I think we're, the benefits are endless. And I think if I can get this from my life and pass it on to you and say, look, why don't you give us a go and start weaving this into your life? It's really worth a try. And then the person feels the benefits and then they, so all of this, I guess, I guess in the work you and I are doing, even having these conversations today, it's all about pass it on. If I've learned something today, I'm trying to pass it on to you. You're passing it on through your platform. If you've learned something today, pass it on to me. I'll pass it on. I think the whole time we're trying to do that. We're not preaching. We're not lecturing. I could, Honestly, I cannot pontificate and tell anyone how to live a better life because I'm a human being. Like every human being on the planet, I struggle. I have difficulties. Have, I've had moments in my life. But I've also learned how to manage a lot of those things. And when I sit, because I'm with human suffering a lot in my job, you you really develop a good knack of spotting what works and what doesn't work. And I guess what I can say confidently is there are three key things, how you speak to yourself, neglecting self, and how you respond to your everyday life. They're everything. And if you can be aware of them and you can work on them, then something really transformative happens in your life. So it doesn't need to be complicated. We make all of this stuff way, way too complicated. And people go away and think, oh my God, what do I need to do? What should I be doing? It's not that complicated. It's something I was discussing with uh, the podcaster Emma Gannon, I think, when I was on. Oh, yes, I spoke yes. to Emma recently. She's oh, great. yes. Oh, we're, all, we're a very incestuous bunch yeah, of podcasters, aren't we? But, yeah, she's so lovely, um, Emma. But it was funny because we were discussing, you know, how actually it is amazing how all the things that are best for your self-care are very, very simple. But having the privilege of speaking to people like yourself um, who have, I mean, I can't even imagine how many years of training it takes to become psychotherapist and before that (laughs) lots lots Lots. and lots it's almost you have to speak to people with that much experience to then be able to only you have the authority to say that almost that actually simple is better 
Well, I, th- I think so. You know, look, if I sometimes get criticized by peers, you know, from my work, oh, well, it's too simple or, you know, because what I try and do is I try and break down very complicated processes into simple everyday language that people can use. And I think, well, why wouldn't I do that? Because people don't want academic theory. They don't want heavy material that's going to take a year to digest. People just need to understand that it's actually not that difficult. You know, there are three things going on the entire time, the world around us how we think and our emotional state, you know, that's for most of us what's going on all of the time. This work is no more complicated than saying, okay, how are you respond? You know, like let's break this down into its simple context. Um, if you were having a really rubbish day, the, the most rubbish day imaginable, and you rang me up and you said, oh, and I'm having a really shit day, you know, and I said to you, okay, what's going on? And you might say, oh God, this happened. And I thought I was going to do this gig and it didn't happen or this person let me down. So you would give me a whole list of what's going on in your external world. And have I then said to you, how did you want it to be? And you would probably say, well, I wanted this to happen. I thought this would happen. And, you know, I was hopeful that this would happen. What I would then say to you is, okay, so what you're saying to me is that the, the, the outside world didn't deliver what you wanted it to deliver today. Would it be fair to say that's why you're struggling, that you're resisting life as it is? And for most people, that's the truth. I wanted it to be this way. It delivered this. So it creates conflict and struggle. So then there's real freedom in that because you can say, all right, okay. So the difficulty with the external world today is that it's not playing, you know, it's not playing ball the way you want it to. And you're, you're, you're fighting against it. So that's the external world. Then we go into, okay, what, what's going on today? What, what are the thoughts? And then it'll be like, oh my God, this is terrible. This is awful. Da, 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 da. Now I'm hypothesizing here. I'm not saying. So then you'd be like, okay, well, it sounds like there's some difficulty with the way you're thinking today. You know, it sounds like there's a lot of overthinking. It sounds like a lot of catastrophizing. It sounds like there's a lot of self-doubting going on. Is there a possibility that we could alter them? Could we go for something more flexible, more open, something a bit more fluid? Okay, so there, there, there we've done a little bit of work and thinking. Can we, can we let a lot of this stuff go? And then the emotional state then is really interesting. Okay, what are the feelings today? And you might say, oh my God, I feel sad. I feel lonely. I feel isolated. And then I would say to you, what are you doing with those feelings? Now, most people would probably say, I'm just trying to get away from them. I'm trying to push them down or I'm trying to anesthetize them in some way. I said, yeah. well, why are you doing that? They're trying to communicate to you. What about responding to the feelings? Have you asked the feelings what they need? Have you asked yourself what you need? So then suddenly this terribly complicated, my day is awful, suddenly becomes, well, actually, it's been a difficult day, but it sounds like you're resisting it. It sounds like you've got locked into old ways of thinking that don't help you. And it sounds like you're trying to numb or get rid of your emotional state. How about just going the opposite way? And I think, you know, learning the art form of being able to do that and just kind of working with life as it is a bit more, suddenly it just feels, it's like, okay, this is all right. It's not perfect. It's not what I thought it would be. It's not what I hoped it would be, but it's okay. I can go with it and trust that this is okay. doesn't mean that it has to feel amazing and brilliant all the time. It's that ability to trust and let go a bit more and start working with life rather than working against it. And trust me, there is real, and I know this for something, I like control. I like to know what's happening. I like precision. I'm a perfectionist. So, you know, I don't want to sit here like some Dalai Lama, (laughs) you know, oh, I, I don't, I have to work in this and I have to be aware of my desire to control and my desire to know and my desire to keep order around everything and also to know that when I try and control all of that that I just end up feeling rubbish and it doesn't help me in any way shape or form but actually when I see it all play and say okay I I know what's happening here and I can let it go then that's where the magic that's where the magic happens really.
Well, because what you can control is your inner state and, and through all the all the practices that you suggest. Well, even, even the inner state, you can't really control it. But what you can do is you can be aware of what's going on there and you can make a decision. OK, well, I can I can look after the parts of me that need looking after. Yes. And I can also then make decisions about, OK, what what what's it? Okay, what can I let go of today? What what's within my control? What's not within my control? What what's okay to let go of today? And then suddenly it's like, all right, well, a lot of that stuff I've let go, and these parts of me that are struggling, I've made a decision. I'm going to look after them, and that's a much healthier place to be, rather than this internal state of awfulness and conflict. And I think really that's what I try really to empower in this book is like, God, you know, you have you have way more control and choices over how you manage all of this than you realize. And the freedom then then that comes with that is like, wow, it, God, maybe it's not as bad as it seems some of the time. Thank you. And Owen, I think we've all benefited so much from all your wisdom on this podcast. But the question I ask at the end of every episode, I would love to know in your life as it is right now, What's your ultimate form of alone time when alone time is objectively positive and yeah, and, and alonement? What, what is your alonement? For me, it, it can change depending on where I am at the moment. But where, where I live in London, well, I'm very lucky at the minute because I, I spend time in London and time in the Cotswolds. And where I am in London is in Richmond. And there's a lot of open green spaces around where I am. And there's one park I go to in Richmond called the Old Deer Park, and it's never that crowded. And I try and go there at least twice a day if I can. And there's something just about being able to to walk somewhere that's completely open and not crowded. It's got a lot of trees and, and literally it forces me to stop. And similarly in the Cotswolds, I mean, you can just spend, there's lots of getaways there where you can just lose yourself. And, and I guess, you know, I was never a kind of nature type person. I grew up in inner city Belfast, so I'm, I'm not a country boy at all. But I guess really I am discovering that the more open and wide and quieter and, you know, the more surrounded by nature I am, I think I can get there much quickly. I can get there much quicker. Does that make sense in terms of the alignment and the quietening, the noise and the steadying? I think the more space I can create around that, the quicker I can get there. So I think that's 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 what it means to me at the moment. But it can change. And I've noticed that over the years that it can change and it can play out in different ways. But I think at the moment, it's about the more space around me and less people around me. I think that's where I where I gain more at the moment. Mm, Fascinating. So the less as in quite literally, you know, if it's less dense where you where you're living at the time, that that's where you feel you can get there more. Yeah, I, I think, and and it can, you know, there there've been other times when it would have been absolutely fine just to go to my room and meditate, and that would have been enough. But I find just a day, I think because there's a lot going on in my career and my life, and it's busy a lot of the time. There's always stuff, and I think there's a lot of showing up to do, and I think that's fine. And I think actually the level of need has become greater. Think okay, well, the more gigs I do, the more talks I do, the more books I read, all of this stuff, you know, it demands of your own time and energy in some ways. And I always want to do it well and I always want to do it truthfully. And I always want to give, you know, the best I can do in any of this stuff. So I kind of think that means, well, maybe the alone time needs to be a little bit wider Mm. and it needs to be a bit broader. So it's kind of like I feel like I'm having to make the adjustments to, okay, well, I've upped the game in my own life by doing more publicly, which isn't a natural state. I have to dig deep sometimes to do these things. It's not a natural state to put myself out there. 
So I've discovered that I've had to adjust a little bit and think actually my alone time needs to be broader and bigger. Mm, I love that. Yeah. Oh, Owen, thank you so much. Oh, you're welcome. Yeah, I've really enjoyed it. And I hope, look, you know, I hope that even if one word or sentence and what we have said or chatted about today resonates, you know, I say this to every interview I do. If anything we have chatted about today hits you, you like, you know, you get this knot in your tummy or you feel like someone's punched you in the tummy or it makes you sit up and, or it's really like, oh my God, he's speaking to me. <laughs> <laughs> then listen to that because yeah, maybe I am in some way. So it's about the, the stuff that's, resonate it with you then don't ignore it listen to it because actually there's probably something really powerful in there for you it doesn't mean that it's going to be the entire conversation it may even be one single line or one single thought but okay that's enough just work with whatever's landed and and trust that that's actually where you need to be And, and listen listen really carefully to that and see where it leads you thank you that's such a wonderful message to end. Uh, you're welcome my pleasure Thank you so much for tuning in to this episode of Alonement. If you'd loved this episode, then you know what I would really love you to do is to share it with someone that you think would benefit. For now, that's all from me and I'll be back next week with a brand new episode. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.